Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Good evening again. Well, the weather's finally warming up and if you live in this area, maybe one of the things you like to do is to visit the river. Uh, We've got a creek on our backdrop here. It's uh, actually the shape of the Mullum Mullum Creek, which is the original deep creek of the area. We like to go to the Yarra. But I wanted to tell you a story of when I went on an adventure in a river when I was 13. Uh, We were staying with some friends in the town of Millawa, if you know it, up near Wangaratta in Victoria. And uh, our friends said, wouldn't it be a great idea if the two oldest kids, that was me and a boy named Sam, we were 13, uh, went on lilos behind a dinghy, which would be piloted by some parents, mine, uh, on the Ovens River. What we think is we'll drive from one bridge to the other bridge and pick you up. It's about half an hour drive between the bridges, which is actually reasonably far now that I think about it. So we'll, um, we'll see you there in about 30 minutes. Well, sometimes rivers don't go in a straight line. And after about two hours, we thought, I wonder where this next bridge is. Now, I'm reasonably old, uh, and so we didn't have mobile phones back then. We had no way of contacting our friends except to just keep going. Well, there were rapids. There were twists and turns. We fell off our lilos. We were worried about them going down. It started to get dark. This was about four hours in. We didn't bring any, like, water, food, anything. And uh, the, the children were getting cold. And so finally we decided we would get out of the river and try and find someone to help us. And so we trekked, got, my, my dad carried the light, the, uh, the dinghy, and we uh, packed up the lilos, and we, we thought, find the road. And we were right next to a tobacco farm. It fe- I mean, now that I watch a lot of TV, it like, you know, you're in the midst of one of these sort of trekking at night through a tobacco farm. And then they said to us, my my parents said to us, why don't you start calling out to to see if anyone will come or hear us? And so we're trying to find some civilization on the edge of the Ovens River, in the tobacco farm, going, freezing cold, and we find a farmer. He'd been packing up from whatever tobacco farmers do um, of an evening, and he could not believe that we thought it was a good idea to go between these two bridges on the river in an inflatable dinghy with two lilos tied on ropes. Did I mention that? Um, Behind it. 
Six hours minimum, he said, it would be for that part of the journey on the Ovens River. I've never forgotten that moment of thinking, I have no idea what direction this journey on this river is going to take. And I feel like so often in life, you and I are like, yeah, I'm going to go from A to B. And it'll take me 30 minutes in the car. You know, that's a reasonable. I'll persevere. I'm resilient. Six hours later, twists and turns and rapids and coldness and darkness, and we're still going. Life is full of unexpected twists and turns. And no more so than when we come to the Christmas story, full of journeys, full of them, none of them straightforward A to B. Tonight we're thinking about a journey that took place after the birth of Jesus, the journey of the Magi. Sometimes we call them the wise men, sometimes we call them the three kings. In this journey, they knew it would take a long time. But perhaps what they didn't know was what they were going to find along the way. Well, I wanted to tell you uh, some of the twists and turns that I think are in this journey, in the story as we have it in Matthew's Gospel. First of all, there's an unexpected twist when it comes to the people who are taking the journey. Now, you and I are used to hearing it, we three kings of Orient are, we know that the wise men came from the east. But if you were reading Matthew's gospel, this is the account of Jesus' life written by Matthew, uh, you would be shocked to find that after he had laid out carefully the very Jewish credentials of this Messiah. It's hard to read Matthew's gospel because the start of it just looks like Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and it goes on. He feels very uh, in place for Israel and the Jewish religion. And then suddenly, chapter 2, visitors from the east wise men come to visit the one born king of the Jews. It seems almost impossible that at the start of this story where the king of the Jews was being born, wise men from maybe Yemen, maybe Iraq, maybe Iran, decided to travel 500 miles for this Jewish Messiah. I was reading the other day uh, a book about why people might not believe in Christianity. 
And one of the reasons that it gave was that people tend to stay with the religion of their homeland. And so where we see in the statistics in Australia uh, that certain religious groups have grown, uh, it's because of migration a lot of the time of people uh, following the religion of their homeland or their family, but they've moved to Australia. And so we might see a growth in some of the smaller or uh, in the past less representative religions uh, in Australia. And we think about religion a lot like that. Well, I was born this, and so I follow this. My family always did this, and so I do that. But these wise men, maybe from a Persian religion, maybe from a Babylonian religion, maybe from an Arab religion, came to find Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now, Matthew was very impressed by this because Matthew loved to find out how the Old Testament fitted with the life of Jesus. And he knew that the promise of God would be, listen to this, herds of camels will cover your land and all from Sheba, which is down in Yemen, will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. That is a promise hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus that people from outside the nation of Israel would recognise that this one born king of the Jews was actually born to be king of all the nations. The universal claim of Jesus is very hard for us to accept today. And I think it's getting harder because, uh, and I like to call it, <laughs> this is Megan's, <laughs> Megan's sociology, the genes effect. Right, in the 19, and I mean J-E-A-N-S, bear with me. In the 1970s, my parents, all, they wore flares, Denim flares. Everybody wore denim flares. I would love to ask you to put your hand up if you wore denim flares. But yeah, okay, yeah. But there was no other option, right? When I was um, in the early 2000s, late 1990s, all the genes basically went up to here. The lo- they were so low. And whenever you sat down, there you were. And you didn't have an option. Uh, And then it was kind of baggy jeans, and then it was this, and then it was that. But now, you can actually buy skinny jeans, wide leg jeans, high whatever waisted jeans, low thingy me, blah, 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 all of them. Whichever one you want, even flares. And (laughs) this is why I feel like today it's hard to say something ought to have a universal claim because we're so used to having something that fits my individual needs. And it's possible in this incredible world for almost everything 
every option to be provided for me and to be seen as an absolutely acceptable choice. And so to me, it is an unexpected twist in this story that wise men from Persia or Babylon or Arabia who could have had their own religion and could have felt pretty good about it came to worship Jesus. Well, the second twist and turn on this river is why they came. Now, we know they came following a star, and I love the fact that they were people who were searching, who were hungry, who were looking for the important things in human history. So probably they studied uh, whether there was kind of a, you know, two stars or a planet coming together at at certain times, if there was a comet, uh, if certain zodiac signs uh, were doing something in particular. But more than that, they came because they wanted to worship the one that they'd seen foretold in the stars. So they arrive and they say to, uh, uh, they come to Jerusalem and they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. If you've been in church for any part of your life, You might have got the impression that religious things happen in here, spiritual things happen in here, and out there, well, you do what you like, you fend for yourself, you have fun, whatever, and then you do the religion in here. But this story of the wise men tells me that actually God can do whatever he wants, wherever he wants, At whatever time, in the stars, on the road, in your family, in your home, in your school, in your workplace, in our government, God can do what God wants to do and needs to do to get his message across. That's why I read Psalm 8 at the beginning of this service, because everything in all creation is spiritual. It's not a religious place in here and a non-religious or a secular place out there. When you go to have Christmas lunch after you've been to church, there's not a difference between how present God is with you and how much God is king here or there. God can do whatever God needs to do and wants to do to bring people to know him. And so they come to King Herod, and when King Herod hears that there is a king of the Jews born, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So the third twist for me is how many kings are in this story. You'd be forgiven for saying three, but there's two. There's King Herod, and there's Jesus, the King of the Jews. 
This phrase, the King of the Jews, is only used here in Matthew's Gospel and one other time when it was written on a sign above Jesus' head on the cross. This is the one who would be king through a cross. And so, not three kings, but two. The wise men from the east come and they encounter two kings. And they know that they have a choice. King Herod was a ruthless man. Didn't stop at killing members of his own family to ensure that his rule was protected. And of course we read that he did some other pretty awful stuff later on. He was disturbed because the presence of another king in his life was an incredible threat. Now for you and for me, when we're on this journey that never takes 30 minutes, there are always two kings. There's me and there's Jesus. And I can decide (laughs) that the presence of another king is a deep, deep threat to me or... I can come and I can say, what would it mean? What will the shape of my adventure become if I worship this king? Well, sometimes when you're on a river, you uh, journey very close to where you were, even though it takes you a long time. I had another holiday where we were on a houseboat on the Murray. And uh, at breakfast time, we were playing on one side of a piece of land. And at dinner time, we were (laughs) just on the other side of the piece of land, even though it had taken us all day to get around uh, the river. Christmas time, when we were young, (laughs) told us that it was about joy and magic, and happiness, and celebration. And we go on this journey, and we're like, oh, will I ever get back there again? Every year I want to get back there. I want to get back there. Can I get back there? Can I make it beautiful for the kids? How am I going to do it? How many lights can I have? I want to say that this journey of the Magi actually takes us right back to joy. When they come to see where the child was, they've journeyed more than 500 miles. When they saw the star stop over the place where the child was, they were overjoyed. And if we were Greek scholars reading the New Testament in its original language, it'd be something like they rejoiced with exceeding joy. The joy of meeting this one that had been promised in the Old Testament and that they'd seen in the stars caused them to rejoice more than they'd ever rejoiced before. 
I was thinking about, well, it could be like a child on Christmas morning. Yeah. <laughs> it maybe it's like you looking at the spread on the Christmas table, maybe. But what I really think it was like was the joy that when I watch too many Instagram reels, you see a dog expressing when its owner comes home and it starts like this and then <laughs> the owner's coming and it's more and more and more and more. To me, rejoicing with exceeding joy, oh, you really need to sort your, your microphone out when you're going to wiggle. Um, rejoicing with exceeding joy is more than just a child on Christmas morning. It's more than just enjoying what you can see on the Christmas table. It is that absolute, complete and utter abandonment of seeing the one that you have been waiting for. We're going to continue to sing and pray. But I want to ask you... Has your journey taken you back to joy? If it hasn't yet, then you need to get to those twists and turns that show you that Jesus has a universal, all-inclusive claim. That Jesus is the one whose birth was foretold and who God could manipulate all of creation to point toward. The Jesus who asks you which king will be ruler, and then the one that offers you exceeding wiggly joy. <laughs>